Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Chicago White Sox fans, welcome to Southside Sox podcast, Mothership podcast number 130. 130 of these, 30 of these, can you believe it? Soxivus carries on. We are now, we have definitely entered the second half of the Soxivus celebration. Uh, once again, sweatered, <laughs> properly sweatered, properly attired. Father Soxivus uh, joins once again, Tommy Barbie. Thank you. Uh, you have me worried there for a second. I thought that the Soxivus signal in the sky was not being seen because there's clouds over the Carolinas, but I'm here. Thank you. Thank God. Now, now we can start. We're just BSing about sweaters and stuff uh, until you showed up. So, hey, we're mostly sweatered here. Don't know why. It's just a thing. Uh, blame Allie Wessel. Um we are talking this time around. Uh, we reversed from last year, 93 win season. You start off with good games, 81 and 81 season in the middle of a, a contention. <laughs> I can't say it without laughing now. Contention window uh, merits that you start off with bad games, which was last week. And now today we're going to be talking about the best games of the season, our favorite games of the season, whatnot. I have no notes, so I'm going to be stumbling around a, a little bit in navigating this, but I do know we are starting off. With Dante Jones, uh, cleverly took leadoff position uh, for a pretty meaningful, pretty super cool reason. So please, Dante, take it away with your favorite game or the best game for you of 2022. All right. So my game was April 15th. It was Jackie Robinson Day. It was White Sox versus Rays. Dylan ceased start. Dylan had um, five and two-thirds innings, gave up one run on three hits, and he, you know, it was a great game for him. And just the meaning of a Jackie Robson Day game is the first one I attended myself. And as an African-American baseball fan, you know, Jackie is a very important part of, like, my fandom and why I'm here. And also, you know, the White Sox have had a history of African-American and Afro-Latino players over the years, pretty heavy history of it. So it was just great to see. Plus, the Sox won and beat a team to end up going to the playoffs, unlike them. Had, uh, I'm guessing it was a short list for you to be able to finally get to a game that doesn't always fall uh, in Chicago. Obviously, probably roughly half the time it's not falling in Chicago for you to be able to com- conveniently see it. But I'm guessing that is a, a short list, want list type of thing for you to be able to finally hit. Yeah, like my list is, um, so I've got Jackie Robinson Day crossed off. I would have done 4th of July this year, but after the whole, you know, Highland Park incident, well, shooting. Right. I did not want to go to a baseball game. It felt like they should have counseled it, but that was my opinion. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, you know, it was my 
the um, April 15th Jack Robinson Day game was my first game of the season. It was a good one. The vibes were high. Game made the White Sox 5-2, and two, and, you know, we thought we was all on cloud nine. We thought we was going to live up to the hype. We, we was thinking that and we might not regret the Fresh Prince meme, but, oh, boy, <laughs> did we regret it. Let me throw this out here. It's sort of on topic, I suppose. We probably brought it up, I want to say maybe two years ago. I don't know. I've been banging this drum here and there. I've always thought, you know, not that it's necessarily connected. I'm sorry if this is, is this is not even the appropriate way to thema- thematically connect these. But to me, it seems to me, especially in Chicago with the Negro League's legacy, as there are is a legacy in many cities that also now have uh, MLB teams or still have MLB teams, uh, that it might be nice to uh, every Juneteenth, it would be a really great way to tribute uh, what the Negro Leagues meant to baseball, especially now that it recognizes uh, a major league, uh, and especially the rich heritage that uh, White Sox, Comiskey Park, uh, you know, c- connecting to the Negro Leagues, uh, Minnie Mignoso and a number of other players, uh, Larry Doby, uh, playing as early stars uh, with the White Sox when they finally made it to the major leagues. Uh, it seems like it's a natural fit. I don't know if it's anything that's ever going to catch fire. It seems like it would be a really nice way, uh, whether or not you hooked it in with Juneteenth or not, uh, to just be able to every year, at least, you know, as long as we're wearing 1983 uniforms every Sunday, how about just one game a year, uh, perhaps uh, honoring the Negro Leagues, as has happened before. Those have been throwbacks many, many times, but rather than just a yeah, like, sort of a crass marketing thing. How about something that's actually meaningful every year? And the best part is that the throwbacks from the Negro League, Chicago American Giants ones, they're beautiful. I got one. Got a oh, great yeah. jersey. And I can't find them online as often as I want to. <laughs> Just give me one of those with Tim Anderson, like with Anderson on back of them. And I'll be happy. Uh, other thoughts, uh, as long as we're on the subject, uh, I think that might be a, a decent idea for Major League Baseball to try and do. I know it's not always going to fit every city. It's not going to fit maybe even every year. I don't know. I mean, you don't want to necessarily do some like uh, – that weird stuff where the Rays like pretend they were a team in the 1970s. So they do those kooky flow throwbacks as if they were around in 1978. But uh, for the, for the teams where it fits, it seems like a, it might be a really nice way to acknowledge something rather than just have uh, the Negro leagues acknowledge as major league. And then we just never think of them again, which is sort of what it seems like might end up happening. Yeah. I, I love that idea. Um, and in some ways it makes sense, but in other ways I find it ironic that the Kansas City Royals are actually really good about promoting the uh, Negro Leagues and have that as part of their um, kind of visiting team package. A lot of times when visiting teams come to the Kansas City Royals ballpark, they'll have it set up for them to visit mm-hmm. the Negro League Museum, which mm-hmm. I think is a really cool concept too. Mm-hmm. Um, I I hope it happens. I think the thing I wish baseball would do first is retire Roberto Clemente's number across major league baseball and give the same uh, type of treatment that they do for Jackie Robinson day. Um, I think that when you consider the um, impact that he had for Latin Americans, uh, you know, playing baseball now and just from a humanitarian standpoint, he really touched the game in a way that very few others have and to me, it just seems every bit of a no-brainer um, is having Jackie Robinson Day. Tommy, we, let's count it as one of the losses of the season. That's last week's podcast. Sorry, but another loss was, if you recall, <laughs> some of us were on uh, the, the staff Slack when I had somehow seen, or maybe somebody else did, I don't know, that, that is actually going to happen. Somebody put that report out there that they really were going to, and it was going to be a Pittsburgh game. Uh, it was on the, what would be the Clemente Day. Uh, and that turned out just to be a false report. So another setback for the season, because I know within our staff, everyone was like, great idea, about time. We're so happy this is happening. And then of course, like an hour later, we find out, oh no, it actually why was too good of an idea. Exactly. So yeah, major league baseball. Man right said no. <laughs> and for can only have one good idea and do one good thing mm. every 10 years. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. No kidding. Um, all right. Uh, I think I have a, a back to back here. I'll try not to uh, talk too long because the next two games uh, come perhaps under my purview. Certainly my game is next. Uh, Hamster comes up after that. So I'll try to summarize both, uh, both wins, believe it or not, didn't choose a loss for best game. Uh, my best game. I've alluded to this, I think uh, a week ago in the sort of bad podcast where the White Sox actually were the best team in baseball at one point at six and two. My game, uh, falls on, um, I think the day after, uh, Dante's, uh, it's a raise game. 
they improved to six and two best in baseball. It was their most of all the clutch wins. I threw something again within staff, basically all the White Sox clutch games this year, their most clutch games. They lost almost all of them. This was the most clutch, most tense uh, game they played the season that they actually won. This is raised very early in the season, but that's just how uh, leverage works. Uh, this ensured them winning their third straight series for uh, this to open the season. Uh, this is the highest or the furthest they were in first place all year, which is two games <laughs> at six and two at the start of the season. Best record in baseball at that moment. Uh, Michael Kopech, <laughs> Tommy, Michael Kopech, one hit uh, over five innings, no earned runs. Uh, but of course, uh, Ronaldo Lopez still adjusting to the LASIK, uh, blew that save, did vulture the win. Uh, Bennett Souza gets the save. Um, uh, and let's see, uh, winning, oh, a manufactured run, sixth inning. Uh, Luis Robert gets on on air, steals second base, advances the third on a fly out. Uh, and then Yasmani Grindal, <laughs> all these weird names <laughs> doing good things. Uh, singled him in, and that turned out to be uh, the winning run. Um, and we talked, uh, I guess, a week ago about you know how this uh, season started. And uh, Malachi, at least, was one guy who said, you know, I saw through it, and I uh, wasn't really feeling the uh, start of the season again. Let's revisit that. Uh, White Sox get off winning six of eight, uh, winning all three series. Uh, Detroit, okay, so what? It seemed like Detroit was going to be a formidable opponent. It turned out not to be the case, but they certainly had some hype. Uh, then you're playing, I don't know who's next. Uh, they, they, they played, uh, you know, certainly the Rays. They played legitimate teams. They yeah, were beating in them. In between, they played on Seattle. They played oh, Seattle, Seattle, right. Took out a two or three from opener. Seattle. Uh, so, you know, everything was according to plan, even if maybe it seemed like it was on shaky foundation. Hey, the results were the results. And even in, in this win here, you know, you're manufacturing around which White Sox, you know, and since Ozzy Ball, which wasn't even manufacturing runs. But, you know, Luis Robert did what Luis Robert was supposed to do. Gets on an error, you know, doesn't hit the ball over the fence. Steals second, gets the third on a sack, uh, and then scores on probably what was just a uh, a senile ground ball from Ismani Grandal. Um, this is the way the season was supposed to be playing out. At this point, we're early in the year. Of course, we're still all flush with optimism. Um, were there really cracks you're seeing, or, or was this, you know, according to plan, and the White Sox might actually fulfill that strange fresh prince in the empty room photograph ill-advised but hey if they had backed it <laughs> we wouldn't be talking about it i mean we were all talking about it when it came out to be honest we're all like this is a bad idea and this yeah. is going to karmically yeah. bite us in the ass yeah but at the time you know uh to to quote to quote uh uh, 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 uh i i'm not even gonna figure out how who i'm gonna quote here but everything was looking at Millhouse at, mm-hmm. at, at that point. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, as as with Millhouse, the the bad things <laughs> always happen. Yeah. Other vibes. I, yeah, go ahead, Tommy. No, I was just going to say, I it, the White Sox are not in a position. We're never in a position to post a meme like that. So yeah. I mean, it's just it's asking for trouble. It's not even at the level of like superstition saying oh this kicker's never missed a field goal it was just a bad idea going into the season and i we all knew that that was just going to be something that was thrown in our face and cleveland definitely did that as we all know and they remember yeah, you know when you, oh, go, yeah. when you go to when for the first time in your long long history you go to a playoffs two straight seasons First time they've ever gone to the playoffs, two straight seasons, and they say, "Well, I guess we run the we are the ones that run the division now." And it's like, no, you have to earn that. Like even the damn Cubs, like were able to put years of sustained sustained success together. Meanwhile, the last time the White Sox won a World Series was 2005. They didn't miss the playoffs until 2008, and then missed the playoffs again until 2020 in a 60 game season. I also, yeah, think, I also think at that point, like, it was already clear that there were holes in the lineup, like, whether or not you go six and two, like, it was already pretty clear to me that, like, our starting pitching wasn't going to be sustainable. And, like, we're plugging in random rookies that were having good luck, like, right out the gate, like Bennett Sousa and um, there was another rookie. That... Well, Tanner, Tanner Banks, certainly, yeah, was, like, Tanner where Banks. we're coming I think, from. Yep. I think at that point, like, 
we saw some of all of the cylinders rolling, but like I could kind of like that loss to Detroit on opening day. Like I was baffled by that. Like I just, I think there were signs that maybe there were some cracks and I was hoping that maybe like it would get fixed at the deadline or like throughout the season with a, with a trade or two, but obviously Rick Hahn doesn't like to deliver. So. I remember saying at the time of the podcast, because we were bewildered by the start, and the fact that the offense was what was propelling this so far, despite whether there were there were holes, and obviously we know second base didn't get filled, right field didn't get filled, because my Grindel is about to have a historically bad turnaround season. Uh, but at the time, I was like, okay, well, last year uh, the starting pitchers uh, carried the carried the mail, and this year maybe it is going to be the offense. Now, of course, that turned out to be quite a joke. But at the time, at the eight game mark, it was like, wow, hey, what's going on here? Because they were. They were thumping the ball. And really, as Ali referred that very first <laughs> opening day, that should have been a win. I can't count it, but they they did everything to, they needed to to turn the win. So at the time, I can remember thinking, I don't know, some of these thoughts we're having now, um, you know, we're coming up then. And that's probably because we were just wanting it to be so. We we're wanting to be in the room, the empty room with no furniture, along with Fresh Prince. A dangerous proposition, we then later learned. Later in the summer, uh, hamsters games up next, uh, May 8th, white Sox improved to 14 to 13. It is the fifth game in their longest winning streak of the season. Five games. It uh, somewhat offset the longest losing streak of the season, which had happened maybe a week or so ended a week or so earlier. Uh, perhaps Dallas Keuchel's best, <laughs> but it was actually a legit start, I guess. Maybe it gave a couple fans hope, not me. Uh, Brayu, uh, two run double, which was the winning margin. Yeah. Fifth straight win. White Sox 14, 13, probably one of two dozen times over the course of the season. We said, okay, back over 500. Now we'll wake up like in a week and there'll be six over 500 and they'll be in first place. And we have looking back at the rest of the division all year. This was early enough that you could actually have thought that and people wouldn't have looked at you funny or that you've been maybe drinking the wrong things. So uh, this was still early on. Um, did the White Sox putting together even a five-game winning streak, which turned out to be the longest of the year, but to be able to sort of punch back uh, after a losing streak that took them out of this sort of hot start or decent start they had, uh, did putting together five games to sort of counter that uh, maybe at the month, about 30-game mark of the season, um, instilling confidence or again, the same shakiness you saw at game eight, uh, even more prevalent at game 27. I don't remember this game, to be honest. Everybody's audio went out at the same time. So that's a good excuse to move on from that lousy game the hamster chose. And next we're going to move on to, uh, Jordan. Uh, this is the Tim Anderson fuck you game, as as she put it. Um, but, I mean, this was terrific, and I really thought Joe was going to pick the other game of this doubleheader because I know he was super jazzed about it. This was a real punch in the mouth. Uh, White Sox take a doubleheader. Um, one of the games nationally, well, the, the, this game, Jordan's game, I think national TV broadcast, uh, just romped on what was a very hot team at the time and made you think, okay, White Sox can play with the big boys. Of course, found out that wasn't true, but at the time, felt pretty good. Yes, Jordan? They swept the fucking Yankees at Yankee Stadium. <laughs> and I, what, what more can you say? Yeah. As much it was, as it was the Tim Anderson saying "fuck you" to Josh Donaldson mm-hmm. game for being a racist piece of shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also just like Michael Kopech went like five and two thirds no hit innings or perfect innings. Went seven with one hit and two walks. It was a great fucking performance on Sunday Night Baseball. I was like. I was like, this, this, I'm like, this is the team, this is a team, this series and that Astro series later in the year that I think someone's got a game in were, were the two series that were like, okay, this team is legit. And if we can make the playoffs, we can beat these teams because we've performed yeah. in some, I mean, not high pressure scenarios. It's the middle of May, right. but it's like they performed in May. Well, they performed against the Yankees. And swept them in New York, where they took they took one game against the Yankees last year, and it was the Field of Dream. Tim Anderson hates the fucking Yankees, I yeah. guess. And you know what? Good, yeah. good. Another game just back over five hundred twenty-one and twenty. So I mean, we shouldn't even have felt as 
as uh, confident as we were, but you know, come on. Yeah. You win on that stage in that manner with that weird drama on the side where you've even got really, let's face it, Tony Russo sort of instigated the whole thing and you've got sort of the team in him. I mean, this is probably the most they've ever like coalesced, you know, as a unit, you know, ever uh, him showing, I don't know, he's got the team's back or he just wants to stir up trouble with the Yankees or whatever it was. Uh, not bad at all. Joe, I got to hear from you about uh, what you felt. Cause this has got to be sort of like your one a game, even though you didn't choose something from this series. Absolutely. Yeah. That was very um, exciting. I mean, just with the, the timing of how everything transpired um, uh, obviously. Um, yeah. Uh, Donaldson, uh, not even his teammates really stood up for him during that whole incident as, and, and I'm glad that they did not. Um mm-hmm. And um, almost immediately after you know, the White Sox you know, go into Yankee Stadium and, and the Yankees were off to a flaming hot start to the season. And it did not matter on that particular day. I mean, it's certainly up to that point in the season, the best day of the season as the White Sox not only won two games, but they did it against a team that looked almost unbeatable to open the season. Um and, you know, the, obviously the White Sox probably were going to win that game regardless at that point. But, you know, the Tim Anderson home run was just, you know, the the maybe the happiest I've ever felt about style points in a game that they were already <laughs> about to win. I mean, yeah, I couldn't have really sure. drawn it up much better than that one. Yeah. And Melissa, as someone who's at the Field of Dreams game, sort of witnessed, um, you know, via TV this year and, in person last year, sort of these heroics that Tim Anderson put in. Imagine this is something you anticipate and expect, or at least really enjoyed seeing because you just love seeing, you love killing the Yankees. And I think we really love seeing Tim Anderson kill the Yankees. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Anytime TA can get up there and smack one out, that's pretty exciting. And um, I also think it's really funny that Yankees fans really hate Josh Donaldson pretty much as much as everybody else mm-hmm. does. <laughs> so, yeah. I don't think the league likes Josh Donaldson. No, yeah. <laughs> no um, one does because he just he's not Josh Donaldson of 2016. Therefore, he's not allowed to get away with the shit he used to get away with. Yeah. Well, it also speaks volumes when you've been on what like seven teams and Exactly. Eight, yeah. Like so um, even when he was good, they didn't want to keep him more than a year. <laughs> so high. Yeah. Yeah. I also uh, just want to say too, this was one of three series. I think the Yankees lost the entire first half. Um, so like to do that for the White Sox to do that was just in- incredible. Like, yeah. So pretty impressive. And, and you know, while we're, you know, okay, we can all pile on Josh Donaldson here and believe me, I encourage that type of behavior. Let's not forget that the tribalism of, of Yankees fans still did. Uh, show its head. I'd like to think if the roles were reversed, White Sox fans would know to say, uh-uh, <laughs> cannot support it. But, you know, you got a fair amount of that fan base still, you know, looking. I mean, I mean that was not, the, it was not a pretty episode. They have John Boy. We have Ken Woe, you know. We all have <laughs> shitheads in our fan bases. <laughs> also, boss still Dave because fuck him too. You, you just exalted Kenwo, you just raised Kenwo's status. Oh my God, I hope he does not listen to this. Kenwo, all right, I'm deleting it. Um, your voice is going to drop out for a second, Dante. We just can't do that for former Southside Sox member Kenwo. Oh God, it hurts to that. say. Oh yeah, see, <laughs> know your history. No, Kenwo wasn't always Kenwo. I mean, he was always Kenwo, but it was like, you know, with a little asterisk, not with whatever the hell it is now. And anyway, this is a best a topic to move uh, we don't need to examine more skeletons. We don't want to do this Southside sucks. It sucks. It sucks. Come on, let's celebrate. Okay, taking a different tone turn here. Uh, we're going to move it on to Super Joseph Rhesus now, who um, picked a, well, I mean, it's still uh, very heated, about as heated as he can get, maybe even more so than uh, the Yankees. Uh, it's a Cubs game, extra inning win. Uh, give me the vibe, give me the justification. Uh, of that selection, Joe, uh, especially not choosing the Yankees, uh, one of those Yankees games. Yeah, there, I was surprised. I mean, there were actually a decent amount of good games to pick from this year. <laughs> um, yeah, so this was the last game of the season series against the Cubs. Uh, the White Sox entered with a two to one series lead, but, you know, really splitting against the Cubs would not have felt satisfying at all. Like it would have just kind of felt like the inverse of 
the 2019 series where the White Sox managed to win two out of the four games, but it felt like such a huge win at that point because of where the different franchises were at that time. Um, and so I was really hoping that they would um, win this one, but uh, they had you know, a great outing from Dylan Cease that was um, only spoiled a little bit by a Jake Berger error allowing um, one unearned run to score. And uh, that was the only run until the bottom of the ninth inning. And um, yeah, David Robertson, former White Sox reliever, I got um, retired the first batter he faced, but then Gavin Sheets doubled. And so they had a little bit of hope, but you know, Adam Engel, Came up to bat. He's not, you know, the strongest hitter by any means, but you know, he got the an accidental infield single on a check swing. Um, so against all odds, like it kind of felt like the, those first you know, forty-five games or so of the season, like the White Sox were almost going for broke at the roulette table, weren't really catching many breaks. But yeah, I thought that that Adam Angle play, um, where he had that um, infield single that he didn't even mean to swing at, um, I thought that that would be a major turning points and they ended up getting that tying run in the bottom of the ninth on um on a a wild pitch and um that was um how they got that tying run across uh and they went back and forth in extra innings but the white Sox just would not go away in that one you know both teams scored two in the 10th and one in the 11th and Jake Berger, who had that costly error earlier in the game, came through with the walk-off single in the 12th. So that that was just a game with a ton of back-and-forths. In fact, um, there were 12 plays in this game that <laughs> resulted in a win probability shift of 15 percentage points or more, which if a game even has five plays that shift the win probability that much, that means it's a very you know, exciting game with a lot of backs, uh, back and forths, but this game had 12 of those. And um, so it was very intense. I know it was just the Cubs. They obviously are not a, we're not a very good team in 2022, um, but that one felt very satisfying. And you know, the White Sox, despite having their backs up against the wall a few times in that game, they managed to find a way to win. And that was something that we really hadn't seen much uh, from them um, at that point in the season. And yet, Joe, they had to scratch and claw to get to 500, I believe, with that win against the Chicago Cubs. I'm going to go ahead and say this is a signal 46 games in. Uh-oh, we're having a scrape against the Cubs. We're still just 500, and we're getting close to June. Now now the sweat starts to beat a little bit, and it, it's, I mean, you, you got better than losing those games. Uh but s- compared to just a year earlier when the White Sox pretty much just blew through the Cubs uh, five out of six or whatever it was, uh, you know, this this year was different. Let's let's pull it back a second because uh, going into next year's schedule, I uh, play every team in the National League, It, it the, the Crosstown Series. I, I don't know if that means it has less meaning, uh, certainly stands out less. Uh, where's everybody stand with uh, games against the Cubs at this point? Some people say they don't they don't even care at all. They hate them. Uh, some people still consider those Cubs games, um, you know, top rivalry, uh, rivalry, uh, big time game. Uh, where's everybody at with uh, playing playing the Cubs? Uh, and ignore the fact that these days they might be likely to lose against them. Who knows? Uh, how are we feeling about uh, Crosstown games uh, 2023 and on? I think they used to be way more exciting before the Sox had won a World Series and the Cubs had won a World mm. Series. Like that was our big World yeah. Series to me. Like I remember. I, I used to like get on as soon as tickets went on sale to try and get like my opening day tickets, my Cubs Sox tickets. Mm-hmm. And like it, the ballpark was so like tense and electric when you went, either if you went on the north side or the south side. But like after we won the World Series, I was like, who yeah. cares? <laughs> yeah. And now that they've won one too, I just think it's, it's just not relevant anymore. It's just not a big deal. Yeah, that's a good point. It also doesn't help well, that the MLB keeps scheduling these games for like, early May, late April on a Tuesday and a Wednesday. Like if we're going to put some importance to a crosstown classic schedule, these games when it's warm out in Chicago and make them a prime, like make it a primetime slot on like a Saturday, Sunday, 
or like a Friday, Saturday situation, even if you're going to make it a two game series. I also think doing the two game series is just stupid. Like make it a three game series, make it a real series. I just think the MLB is, has been taking away from like the actual importance of the crosstown and like the fan experience, I think too of it. As someone yeah. who was at this game, it was sorry, Dante. It was very hot. But also processing because I had COVID at this game. <laughs> I went to this game. I, I wanted to talk about this, this game itself real quick, but I, you, the, um, I think it's fine. I think they're, I think they're, they feel like big games, whatever. Um, but yeah, no, I, I had, I had COVID at this game. I went nine innings and I was like, man, why am I so exhausted from watching nine innings of a baseball game? And I got home. Had COVID at the at the Cub Sox game mm. two days after I watched Dallas. After, three days after I watched Dallas Keiko ruin my birthday. It was a it's a great w- weekend, regardless. Quite a run. To, I get, well, I mean, I got to meet like all of the the, the internet true. people that I'd never met before. That's so true. it was an, it was a good time. But Cub Sox series, I think they're they feel meaningful. It's 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 whatever. Although, yeah, it's a little bit more meaningless when you play games against all of the national league because it's like when it's just like the cubs or like the cubs in a couple nl central teams it's like okay yeah these are interesting games of teams you never get to see but at this point with the dh in the nl and playing every team what's the point in separating leagues at this point to be honest yeah yeah and also like i think i said this on my first pod here because we were talking about Cub, we were talking about Cub Sox and like how it's lost meaning for most people. And luckily, from like that was funny enough, I had COVID that weekend because it was around my birthday weekend. It's just like, ah, uh, Cub Sox at least exist. But also, like, the series, like everybody said, it has less meaning. It shouldn't be a two games here and two games there. There's going to do that. They should do it all back and forth to like. Thursday, Friday at one, Saturday, Sunday at the other. Or just make it a three-game series in, like, the middle of June or, like, a 4th of July thing or something like that. Uh, Okay, we have um, identified the full hospital role um, for Southside Sox or Southside Sox writers to be. Uh, We made that very clear over the course of these best and worst games over the course of the season. Uh, Thankfully, everybody's alive and well and hopefully not going to be catching any sort of pandemic-related disease in 2023 uh, in Chicago or elsewhere. Uh, we're going to cut at uh, All-Star Break again. Uh, we've had many um, uh, detours already. Apologies for that. Uh, Maliki's game is a Toronto walk-off, and I think Extras uh, got the team up to 33 and 33. And what do you say here? He just wants it to be known that it was just sort of like a breath of fresh air to get back to 500, which is a terrible theme and is a recurring theme. You know, I'll just say I picked a game where the team was six and two. Everybody else is like game under, game over, 500. But that's because the whole season was. And I suppose at the time for Maliki, it was like, okay, maybe again, maybe this is a sign of of an upswing. Um, White Sox have resilience like uh, Joe's game, uh, you know, fighting back uh, against whatever opponent. Uh, and uh, good things are coming. Well, they didn't turn out to be coming, but then that's a spoiler alert. So again, a reminder before we go to break, a reminder that if you have not seen how this season ends, uh, pause at an appropriate spot. If you've only gotten through June, then I'm sorry, you can't listen to the second half of this podcast. If you've gotten through August into September, it's really scary. I can, I can tease you with that. It gets really scary and sort of ugly. Uh, but, but, you know, again, just know when to stop. And again, a hat, cap tip to Jordan Haas for uh, bringing that up last uh, last podcast because you know hey not everybody knows uh, we're going to take a break come back talk about some other games including some folks here who are going to represent their games and we may acknowledge uh, others who did decided not to show up maybe because they didn't have a sweater vest all right whatever we will identify a sweater vest when we come back out of the break for the second half stick with us second half of a very exciting chicago white Sox season upcoming mother's day is around the corner find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from blue nile from timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Everything in. 
Hey there, White Sox fans. Guess what? It is second half of the season. We are entering uh, Sox of a Celebration Best Games of the Season. We are now in the second half of 2022. Um, we may detour at any time to just discuss all our different sweaters and sweater vests. It's the sweater vest edition of Sox of Us. We didn't know it was going to happen. A year ago, we were costumed. We did that a little bit this year. I'd say the, 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 the best, the most participation we've had on the podcast now is in sweaters and sweater vests. Go figure. Uh, talk to the guy who's sitting in 80 degrees wearing a sweater vest right now for an hour long podcast. All right. Moving on. Uh, coming out of the break, uh, Brian O'Neill uh, chose a game uh, against Houston. White Sox uh, swept, did really well against Houston, uh, including the game uh, that we referred to a week ago where <laughs> a fan from behind home plate told Tony to send in Adam Engel as a pinch runner and Tony snapped out of whatever stupor he's in and and did so leading to a victory for the Chicago White Sox but uh be sure to read Brian's write up i'm sure it will be um eloquent and silly and we'll use a word that you'll have to look up um to understand uh so we will scoot right to sell the team it's Melissa Sage Bolenbach her game ah hey go figure not exactly a stirring victory and a bunch of excitement but something notable uh because well I mean, it's a sentiment we feel, and we cross our fingers hoping it may happen. Uh, Melissa, tell me about that game. Yes, so uh, it's a loss, but there were still a lot of really um, exciting things, I thought, that happened at the game. Um, I mean, the the team collapsed, and it was a horrible game. I mean, the loss 10 to 5, Davis Martin gave up a bunch of runs, um, Carlos Perez had had a in his debut had like a a catcher's interference and pass ball and you know so it was just t- typical 2022 White Sox baseball um but the fun things that were there is like I got free stuff so look at this cool I mean you can't see it if you're not watching it but ah, I did get a really tell. cool 80s fanny pack nice. and also a really cool White Sox hat um so, you know, that, that kind of made my day. I went with my son and we got in the jumbotron. So that was exciting. Um, but the highlight was in, I think the socks were, uh, down six to three and I'm on my phone screaming on Twitter, which is what I do. when I get really mad at white Sox baseball. And, um, he is like, mom, look out there. Any points, and there's this huge sign with a guy wearing a fire Tony Larusa t-shirt that said "Sell the team," and it wasn't like a homemade crappy banner. Like somebody actually went out and went to like, <laughs> you know, the nice fancy printer place and got this massive sign printed off. And then it slowly through the rest of the game, as the White Sox are continuing to suck, made its way to like the third base side of of home plate. And then all of a sudden the security guard just came down and like, and confiscated it. Um, so I, I didn't tape the game, so I don't know if it ever really made it on TV. So I don't know if any of our fellow podcasters here watched it to see if it did. Um, but yeah, I mean, to me, it was just like the front office is going to see this. Like you, you can't not yeah. see this because it was a pretty significant deal at the game. And so, yes, yeah, so that was my, my best game. Yeah, the memories of that. I mean, you can't you can't avoid it. I mean, of course, then the photo servers are scrambling to to get a shot, whether above the dugout or in the outfield. We ran, I believe, your shot, Melissa, as our as our lead art because we had to. I mean, you got to acknowledge that. So yeah, definitely the front office noticed. And in fact, knowing that that sign was so well made, and knowing uh, Rick Hahn's you know devilish cheeky little smile, even though he hired the guy, who knows that could have been a, that could have been a Han funded sign. It was controversy started. Yeah, controversy started at the Southside Sox of this podcast. But uh, who knows? It was a legit sign. That was not a homemade. <laughs> if I had made it, you would have been able to read it. So that was legit. Uh, other memories of that game, anybody else uh, pop up when you're just like, oh my gosh, I mean, it's not necessarily jaw dropping because we'd already heard fire Tony, uh, but that's taken in another step. And the fact that it wasn't immediately burned by, you know, I don't know, security. Um, interesting. I don't know if it made the telecast, but I do remember seeing video footage of it. So I, I think at least a fair number of people caught on to it happening, not just in the crowd, but maybe it was the ancillary, like, video services that it was being broadcasted yeah. on it was circulating throughout twitter which i i thought was kind of amusing yeah 
the fact that it made its way around the stadium is is just a test to the fact that White Sox fans want Jerry to sell this fucking team. Like to, to be able to just pass it around the stadium to where people will hold it up. It's like, yeah, no, that is that is the epitome of what really needs to happen with this team. And how they must have got it in the stadium is the other thing. You know, exactly. like as a female, like I can't take anything bigger than like mm. an index card, you know, purse wise into the game. But somehow they got this giant banner rolled up. I don't know if somebody was like on the side with a I don't know, feeding it through the fence or whatever. You wrap but... it around two people and then <laughs> they walk in together. Or it's just the male-female fan double standard, you know. Yeah, sure, get in there. I've seen bigger beer bellies, so come on in, sir. Um, all right, uh, quick, um, we've only got uh, Allie and Tommy to talk about their games, and we can squeeze them if we want to. Come on, just Father Socks of us and, uh, and, and Super Trooper uh, Allie. So, uh, okay, quick sidebar. Has anybody uh, made a sign that's gotten on television? I will start. I was in Kansas City. Uh, we made a homemade sign, my friend and I. Uh, that said, because we had limited resources, we were on the floor of the gift shop, scrawling it in a, on a borrowed uh, Sharpie. This is in the 90s. Uh, uh, hey, Wimpy, we have food. We thought that would get us on TV. It was actually a national broadcast. We did get on TV. And Tom Pachorek, um insulted our sign. He didn't hand it because he said, where's the food? Uh, we, we said we had food and we didn't have food. We just wanted to get on. Anyway, sort of a bad story. Anyhow, anybody else have a more exciting story about getting a sign on uh, on a broadcast or... I just want to make sure everyone knows who Tom Pachoric is, correct? I I have to ask. We're not that old. We're not Okay, that. see, Al, Allie doesn't <laughs> know. And that's why. Words mean nothing to me. Yeah. The name Allie. sounds familiar, so I'm just like, I kind of know. I'll, I'm going to say maybe. I, I just saw the faces that everyone was making. And I was like, I think we've reached a divide on who knows who Tom Pachorik is. Well, when you, if you can think of a time, imagine if you can think of a time where Hawk Harrelson was a good broadcaster. I know it's impossible for some and it's sort of impossible for me. And I, you know, I lived through his better broadcasting days. Uh, that was a combination that made sense. People seem to like him and Don Drysdale. They're all right. Uh, him and him and Wimpy, uh, the amount they brought into the game from their playing days did not become obnoxious or a school army the way Harrelson got um, with Steve Stone. Uh, they were just a they were uh, they were a lot of fun. Um, Tom Short played for the 1983 White Sox. Played for the White Sox for a while. Actually, was a pretty darn good player. Uh, a lot of crazy stories having to do with him. Very self-deprecating. Don't always hear that a lot. Steve Stone will not self-deprecate. Well, I guess he does in a way that's like allowed. Um, it's a whole different broadcasting scene these days. Saying right, saying stay on the ride or just enjoy the ride is self-deprecating on its own. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, unintentionally self-deprecating. Anyhow, it's an entirely different podcast. Uh, the Wimpy Pachoric, uh podcast uh, one day. That'll be number um, 385, which I will not be around for. Uh, anyhow, okay, uh, that sidebar didn't work. Um, but, you know, if you want to jump in with your assigned story one day, your – no, you're. I, do, I actually don't have a science story. I okay. just used to like run the jumbotron at a college hockey games. Okay. So I, I just, you know, I've seen some, I've seen some signs. Let yeah. me tell you. I bet. I bet. <laughs> Memo to Jordan: Do not show that on the big screen next time. Yeah. Uh, uh, okay. Well, uh, Lee's up next. Four days later, I believe, from Melissa's game, uh, end of August. At this point, uh, we have largely given up hope. Because Lee's game is uh, Tony Larusa being gone. <laughs> it's just they, they, I think they won the game, but it's like, hey, he's gone, and we're happy. That's pretty much what the last month of the season was reduced to. <laughs> so we'll move on from that. Uh, read on that, uh, Lee. I'm sure we'll have a good write up here. Uh, Allie Wessel. Oh, it's a birthday. It's a t- entirely different birthday story than Jordan Haas a week ago. Uh, Allie, it was your birthday. You came home, uh, we waited up to do a podcast, a post-game podcast, just a flurry of wonderful memories. Dylan Cease, one hitter on your birthday. Pretty cool. Yeah, it was very, very cool. Also, I met like a ton of White Sox Twitter people that day. I saw Jordan and Jackie and um, a whole slew of people. Um, So that was really special. But yeah, I got to, I mean... The whole weekend was special just in general. Like I got to spend my birthday weekend in Chicago with some of my, some of my best girlfriends. So that was really nice. But then the fact that like we 
went to the game not really expecting anything like this the Friday night game that we went to was that weird double walk-off situation so I like did not know what to expect you know Dylan Cease is coming off of an eight inning outing against the Arizona Diamondbacks which I think was his longest outing of his career to date before his complete game shutout um so yeah I think we knew that his outing was special, you know, probably in the third or the fourth inning. Like he was definitely dealing. Um, did I know that that was going to end with 8.2 innings of hitless baseball? Probably not. Um, yeah, it was just, and on top of it, like Eloy Jimenez hit a home run. Romy Gonzalez had his first career home run and Elvis Andrews hit a grand slam off of a position player. So like, <laughs> That was really fun. Um, yeah, the offense was there. Dylan, Dylan just did what Dylan did all season. Um, so yeah, it was very special. Also, um, shout out to Trevor McGill for not giving me a ball from the bullpen on my birthday because he didn't believe it was my birthday, but that's fine. Not bitter. Damn. That's not cool. Who walks around saying it's their birthday and it's at their birthday? Is that a thing? Right? That's that's pretty weird. And on top of it, he said he didn't have any balls, and I was clearly looking at the ball bag (laughs) on the ground. So just the fact that you made him say that out loud. Yeah. I was like, you (laughs) made him say that. That's pretty funny. No balls. Don't have any balls. I'm sorry. And then got uh, got to come home and and do a podcast, which clearly probably was the highlight of of the evening. Alley, to be honest, Sorry. yeah, I think uh, I think that was probably my like second podcast I had done with Southside Sox. Like I was very new to Southside Sox when that happened, so um, pretty great um, you know entrance, I guess. <laughs> and, and now, Allie, you're setting the fashion trends for the entire podcast. Allie says sweater vest, and everybody's like, "Well, okay, I better find a sweater vest." Everybody's showing up late. Dante's overheating. It's, just, it's rough, but you know we're gonna get through this. We're gonna muscle through because we're we've only got a month uh, left in the season. Uh, let's talk a second though about how weird it was to have that blowout game as a no hitter. That's got to be weird. And I know Dylan was asked about it because he had uh, definitely some layoffs. I think really late in that game it wasn't like the eighth inning, like a seventh or eighth inning, a, a huge inning for the White Sox. So it's like, geez, you're just sitting there, you're waiting. It's obviously in his head by then. It's not the third inning. A uh, very strange circumstance. It certainly doesn't lead to him, you know, uh, giving up the hit on the on the on the last out of the game. But uh, different. I don't. I you know I haven't done any no-hitter studies, but I'm guessing the games are usually a bit closer than that because let's face it, you know, ten nothing games or whatever are are rare as they are. So that was probably strange. Who gave gave the crowd? I imagine a lot of time to sort of buzz about it as well. Yeah, like so. I was on my way home. Funny enough, from work, like when this game was going going, I'm just like. I thought about halfway because I was like, it was probably the third inning. I was like, maybe I should get a ticket, go see what's going on, you know, <laughs> BS around. And I was like, nah, I'm tired. I want to go home. I don't want to see these losers. <laughs> and then um, I get Can't home. I watch the entire game with my grandma and my dad. And I'm just like, I could have been there. But also, like, did I really want to be there when the no-hitter was lost? And just, like, be like, another White Sox yeah. blow. Yeah. I'll give you a similar story. Uh, I missed an Nolan Ryan no hitter. I went to school in Texas. I don't know what I was thinking, but um, uh, because uh, the friend I was going to go with, we plan on going, we made plans uh, much earlier. And he's like, oh, you know, I think Nolan Ryan's pitching. It's always so crowded when he pitches. Let's not go. I was like, okay, fine. No big deal. So blew that. However, okay. Show of hands now. uh, And again, the the oldest of us here have a better chance at this. Uh, Anyone witness at any level, uh, no hitter uh, in in the majors or whatnot. I did see uh, both of, both of Burley's. I, I was there for both of those games. Uh, anybody else ever caught a no hitter or even a, even a near no hitter like Allie did? I missed Rodon's by one or not Rodon's um, Burley's by one day. I was mm. there the other day. Mm. I missed a, an almost no hitter by Herman Marquez last year by like a day, but it was also an, oh, I almost missed an almost no hitter, but I was also at at the game with Allie. Well, not with Allie, but I was at the game and Allie was also there. And that was a fun time. Me, me and Jackie were like shaking in the ninth <laughs> inning. We're like standing next to each other like, is, is, is he going to do this? And now now I hate Luis Arias for the rest of my life. Yeah, it's sort of, it's, 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 hey, those are the rules. Just like you got to hate this McGill guy because he's like, oh yeah, no baseballs staring down at a 
bag of baseballs. Jet yeah, bag. kind of like the whole Rodon toe ball, where it's just like it was so close to being even better than than was. But like, just just give me that little inch. That's mm-hmm. all we wanted. Yeah, and, uh, and the baseball guys could not shine upon. Yeah, the um, the Rodano hitter, uh, I believe uh, Keelan from Southside Sox was there. I think also with uh, brief uh, saves Tuesday. I think I think they were there together. I'm pretty sure Keelan saw it. I don't know. Um, Malachi was there for the perfect game for Burley. Uh-huh. Young little Malachi. Yeah, it's like it's like we were together our entire lives. It's just I was like thirty and he was ten, and we didn't know each other. But it's like we have all, we have quite a scrapbook of memories uh, together. We'll have to actually meet one day. Uh, okay. Um, oh yeah, hey, this arm threw a no hitter. So okay, just <laughs> was it professional? Hey, let's move on. Uh, okay, Tommy, you've got a game coming up now against the A's, and uh, your 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 um, tag for this is like we thought they were going to like, like you actually thought this, they were going to like put it together. This is going to happen. No, I okay. didn't. But I mean, this, this was as good as it got for the white okay, Sox right. because yeah, this was fair. before the car completely <laughs> drove yeah. off the cliff, burst right. into flames <laughs> and then, you know, blew up. Like, I mean, this, this, they were only one game behind. They ended up being one oh. and a half games behind. They were 72 and 68. It was like, all right, even just being halfway mediocre, like they're still right there in the central. It was a good pitching performance by Lance Lynn. They had scored 14 runs um, earlier in the series against Oakland. Then he had a 10 run game and it was like, Hey, offense. I remember this. I remember the White Sox hitting Elvis Andrews lit a fire into the ball club and did really well in his uh, short stint with the Sox. And it was like as close to a good vibe as you could get from this White Sox team, like I said, before all hell broke loose. And that's legit. It had been a month. It had been August 16th since they were as close to first place. So, yeah. I mean, you're not making that up. Yeah. They, no. You the, know, yeah. Time was running out, but <laughs> it's hard to say that they could have done anything. Four games over 500, but – uh, or three games over 500, but um, yeah, uh, there was still time and they there still was. had those head to head games, even though we're like, mm, God, I'm looking at the stretch. Holy crap. How did I it, forget that the White Sox lost every game between every September game. 20 and yes. the 28th? Yes. God. Well, this is why I don't need therapy. I managed to black this stuff out. This is awesome. Um, okay. <laughs> Anybody else think, okay, the White Sox are creeping back. They're still hanging around. Cleveland has, I think we, this came up a week ago. We're talking about how I think Allie brought out that, you know, Cleveland hadn't really distinguished stuff. They were actually slumping. Um, so the White Sox were allowed to hang around, even though this is a 500 team. And this Oakland series is maybe the last time we have a, I have a feeling to say, okay, wait, the right things click together. Something can happen. Uh, of course, uh, the games against Colorado, I think Jordan referred to uh, last week as well, uh, were right around the corner. So ugly things were still about to happen, but the White Sox still had, I guess you could argue, their destiny in their own hands. And maybe that's a little bit of what I can throw into what Tommy's saying here is too. There was maybe not hope, but there was still possibility. They were not eliminated uh, in our hearts, in our heads, even though we're all sort of like... And I don't think it's going to happen. Maybe we we're still believing that uh, Cairo's boys don't quit or something. I mean, there was enough still to perhaps believe in. Uh, anybody like uh, Tommy recognizing that um, o- Oakland series and doing pretty well against a team they needed to really try to bury at least two out of three uh, as being a potential turning point? Well, didn't they get their asses kicked in the third game? So it was like, I think I was on coverage for the last <laughs> two of these games. And it was like, it went from like a 10 to 1 win that was really great. Right. And I'm like, man, we're doing yep. really good to like an 8 to nothing loss. I was like, what the fuck are we doing? Yep. What? I, Cairo's boys don't quit, but they sure do lose 8 to nothing. Yeah, losing to a uh, 10 to 2 win, 10 to 3 loss. And you're right, they get it handed to them. And, you, you know, you, again, you're forced to walk away saying, okay, oh, it's good that we won three out of four, but, you know, they needed four. They needed four out of four at that point against Oakland. You really need the four out of four, and you certainly can't lose the finale uh, by seven runs. So, uh, yeah, Tommy, you sort of took us right to the edge of the cliff. We peered over, and you know, we saw that was coming again. If anyone hasn't really figured out how this ended the last two weeks of the season, it's not good. Stop here. 
Stop it. Yeah, the, the, the spoiler is it's not good, but we can't tell you how. Well, I guess I already did. I talked about losing 600 games in a row against division opponents. It's a, that's a White Sox family tradition. They always sort of choke. In they the final got month. swept by Detroit. <clears throat> I mean, it, it, it's not just losing against like even Cleveland or, or good teams. They got swept by de- like the bad, bad Detroit Tiger team that had nothing to play for. It's interesting. It didn't come up a week ago in the worst games. One of those Detroit games, because of course everything's lost by then and we, we all have given up hope, but those games were so offensive. They were be- totally believable, but so offensive. This is a team that's absolutely. absolutely in free fall. They're fighting for last place, and the White Sox can't muster. They're at they're 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 at home. They can't muster a win against Detroit. You know, on the I understand demoralized after getting swept in the must sweep against Cleveland, but then you lose all three, and then you take that right into Minnesota, and you keep losing. Uh, they weren't even wow. close games. <clears throat> so yeah, it was bad. I wonder what Miguel Cairo said in his uh, White Sox manager interview about that. I mean, I'm assuming Rick Hahn was a student enough to ask about it. He probably wasn't actually, but I wonder what you say about that. Hey, Miguel, we noticed between the 20th and the 28th crucial mushroom games, our team lost every one. What happened? They weren't, I thought you told them just to go out and have fun. That pre-recorded <laughs> speech only worked so many times before the tape <sighs> ran out. <laughs> Our final game in this story, although uh, we are recording this a little bit in advance, so there may be still some games trickling. I believe we have 10 all told at moment of recording. Is Trooper Galactus's uh, cynical game, uh, his favorite game being the blowout loss against Minnesota that just mercifully ended the season. I haven't read his write-up, but I'm assuming he's just, um, that, that one's probably full of um, snark and criticism, as it should be, because White Sox couldn't even manage a sweep against a team that had clearly quit somewhere three months earlier uh and ending the season appropriately could not be a team above 500 uh hey we're talking about good games but you know as long as we're ending on this horrible note because you really can't uh escape the the horror and believe me i hope nobody's still listening who didn't figure out how this ride ends because you listen too long what was the worst case scenario going into the season what do you think the worst the white Sox could have been we always put every year now we're saying predict and we got 99 wins i think we got 91 wins i think that was the range this year um, we always ask how many wins you think the White Sox. We never ask what's the worst case scenario. Is anyone anyone worse than you thought the White Sox could possibly be this year? Yes, a hundred percent. Yes, okay. I had I, eighty-one wins was not even in my I'm eighty-nine. I thought maybe the division yeah. could be taken with eighty-nine, mm-hmm. eighty-one. Not no, not a chance. I. Wouldn't have expected it, but like twenty games in, I wouldn't have been surprised. Okay, but like I would have, I would, I would have guessed like lowest, lowest end, maybe eighty-seven, mm-hmm. eighty-one seems eighty-one five hundred five hundred teams seems uh, seemed unlikely. Right. Well, I remember. Um, oh, go ahead. A for a first round, an, another year of first round exit from the playoffs, like was my worst case scenario. Was like the basement? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. because. Like the goal was to build off of a 93 win first round exit from the previous season, right? So, like, if you do yeah. the same again, that's your worst case scenario. And they did even worse than that. So, yeah, really, running in place should be the worst, especially when you're ascendant. You've got a young team, the contention window, you poured all this money into the team. Yes, you would think that spinning your wheels would be worst case scenario. And, Joe, I remember in, in podcast, Almost week to week, we'd always be like, okay, let's reassess. Let's see what's going on. I think Crystal went from like 99 win prediction to 47 win. She was so frustrated at some point. But I remember Joe, you know, it was always like, okay, what, what are we projecting? And I mean, I think we really had to work all of us down, I think. Well, Crystal accepted, I suppose. But, you know, like I remember Joe's like, okay, now I'm seeing like 87 wins. I mean, it, it was hard to even acknowledge the likelihood of like an 85 win season until until it was right upon us and right on our, our doorstep. So, I mean, there was, and it's not denial. It's just, you're looking at the division. You're looking at a team that should kick in at some point. It's just like, no, this can't happen. Yeah. 500. How could that have been on anybody's table? Worst case scenario, the, the, the emptiest glass possible. Couldn't, couldn't think of a low eighties, forget 81 wins and 500. Yeah. That was one. Yeah, after I, the twins. Oh. Oh, sorry. I was just going to yeah, comment on that. Yeah, I, I didn't want to overreact to any particular, you know, bad series. And I kind of wanted to you know, be as, as steady as I could with that. And 
And so I didn't have any like huge drops from you know one podcast to the next, but you know, I was just kind of gradually, I was gradually coming to the realization like, yeah, okay, this is probably going to be a 500 or so season. <laughs> Eventually we got there, but yeah. yeah, it took a bit. And I think the other thing too, though, is that like, I I didn't think they would be like an 81 win team, but there there was that thought in the back of my mind of Han really didn't address any of the problems from last year. Most of the trade, well, all the trade deadline acquisitions that he made were largely gone. And the only thing he seemed to be interested in was investing in bullpen arms that were either not healthy, unknown, or somewhere in between. And it's just like, as the season went on and you realized, hey, we don't really have a plan, plan for Kopech. Hey, Joe Kelly's going to be like mostly dead for most of the season. It just more and more, it didn't add up. And it was like, this doesn't seem like a complete team. And I think that based on how things were evolving, it, I, you know, they still underachieved, but 84 wins probably would have been a more realistic target if they had, you know, a competent manager through most of the season. And it made it even more aggravating something that Ali spoke to in one of these many socks of his podcasts, um, grievances, perhaps, I don't know, uh, feats of strength because she wanted to punch Rick Hahn in the face. And it's, it's the whole idea of like, well, there's nothing we could do about it. And then still also with like a smirk, it's not like, I don't expect him to be like, uh, you're pulling his hair out and weeping, but the idea that's like, that's a smirk, like they're going to come around and there's nothing we can do, you know, even though we've built to this, um, it just it made it worse. It made it sting worse. I mean, you have a setback of a season, fine, but then it's sort of like, well, we just got to see how it plays out. It's almost like Ozzy not playing guys a decade earlier because it's like, well, you know, you put big money into guys, so I'm going to just keep running those guys out there, even though the entire fan base is screaming to change the lineup up. Uh, now it's Han saying, hey, you know what? I mean, you know, you chose this manager, so let's just see how it plays out. It's not what the guy running the team is supposed to be doing. Well, but also, like, the two biggest acquisitions he made were veterans that fell into his lap. It was Elvis Andrews and Johnny Cueto. If you took those two guys out, that's this is like a 75-win team. So, I mean, he got incredibly lucky to even get to where he was. And this is the guy that's supposed to be the, you know, the big brain around trades and signing free agents and finding guys you had two players literally fall into your lap because you didn't want to sign a starting pitcher you signed vince velasquez you didn't want to get any real depth at infield until you had to and it just that he just kind of lucked out yeah um he is not good at his job at all like Rickon is just <laughs> bad. And like we had Kenny Williams before him. And it's like the problem with Kenny felt like he sometimes took too many shots at like trying to make something shake. The problem with Rickon is that not only does he not take enough shots, but also every shot he takes is like a fucking stormtrooper where nothing gets hit at all. <laughs> so it's just like we all know that he like Rickon. If the White Sox were a competent organization, Rick Hahn would not be working for this team anymore. But they're not competent. And like most Chicago teams, they love the people that they've stuck with for decades. 730, we'll see what happens. It's it's not just the sweater. Dante is getting hot. Uh but the, you know, this we this, we've we've been through, I mean, we've trashed Rick Hahn in every podcast, haven't we? So uh we can we can bail on that or pause that for a second. Father Saxophus, I need to throw it back to you. It appears that around the corner is um, Saxophus Miracles. Can you explain what in the world's going on with that? Because, you know, it's just been a year and I've forgotten. What's happening next week? <laughs> well, you know, we, we need to – everybody is feeling hopeful and optimistic because we have a <laughs> shiny new manager that is apparently very attractive and his family's beautiful. <laughs> And everybody's just like happy and and feeling good. So (laughs) let's continue on that front and, and wish that Rick Hahn somehow has some extra bullpen money in his back pocket. And he actually says, Hey, I think I'll go spend it. 
on a bat that can actually hit that's actually in their prime. Let, let's see what happens. So okay. name your miracle I that see. will happen okay. that will make us feel good about the 2023 White Sox. With an eye toward the new manager. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. It, I, it's probably shooting too low just to have the White Sox promotions department put together uh key party night at the ballpark. All right. Well, that's just referring to our Slack in internal discussions. They've been wild and woolly, and I'm sure they will continue to be. But who knows? Maybe his his wife's name park. is Allie. Like, his wife has my name. It's perfect. Mm-hmm. All right. It's kismet. That there you somehow go. The guy nobody thought we wanted now is essential and crucial uh, to a successful 2023 season. He picked season. up some tabs at a restaurant. He's at schools. He's shaking hands. I mean, he's, you know, he's out there. You'd but think he's running for mayor. His yeah. rollout has been much better. I mean, much, yeah, much better and much different than Tony's. It was like, hey, Tony's back. And now this man is out here like paying for food and being, you know, a human being instead of this weird, cranky-ass robot. Someone put on Twitter the other day, uh, like, a side-by-side comparison of the, like, the social media posts for Griffal and Tony LaRussa, and it was literally one tweet for Tony LaRussa, and it's probably over a dozen posts that they've already made for Pedro. So, it, I mean, there's a very different tune being sung. Well, it does sort of leave a bad taste when you're, you when when your tweet has the wrong um signature you know so and the whole dui thing is oh yeah I sort of a bummer tweet above. they're um, kind of, i think that, they're trying to keep thing. them the download yeah. we're already optimistic and discussing miracles and it's a week early next week is Saxus miracles and if you thought we came up with some whoppers last year oh believe me i've ever done 81 and 81 season you know not that you can ask for anything more than having pedro uh griffall be your manager okay we'll we will try our hardest to aim even higher and come up with our miracles for next week that'll be the source of the podcast and the saxivist uh feature uh for now i think we will wind this up i will thank in most cases uh do- the double duty podcasters of uh ali wessel uh, thank you for the um, bookends of Dylan Cease game. And I'm glad we got to end on the nicer one uh, for you. Uh, Super Joe Reese's, you came for the important one. A Cubs win. Who? come on. We all can celebrate that. I don't care if you don't care about Crosstown anymore. I still care about Crosstown because we're sort of in that place where <laughs> championships seem very distant. So let's care about the Cubs game again. Uh, Melissa Sage, uh, Bolenbach, uh, very interesting twist on uh, best game. Uh, this time around, you sort of took the the hamster course there. I, I like it, uh, but also very um, sign oriented, um, very message oriented in uh, your couplet of games. Uh, Jordan Haas, uh, get well, stay well. Um, don't need, don't need you on the injured list uh, next year. Um, <laughs> and Adante Jones, I'm going to need you to wear a sweater every podcast. I'm liking the fire. <laughs> So uh, sweater vest essential. It's it's going to have to be crucial. Uh, first, we got to get Dante a sweater vest instead of the Pulp Fiction vest. And Father Socks vest. Tommy Barbie thought you missed the signal, but you caught it. Hey, I'm going to catch you for miracles uh, in a week's time. Yes, exactly. Excellent. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Hang around for this. It's a fun little experiment. Uh, if you don't agree with our best and worst games, hey, listen. You're obligated to list yours in the comments. Those are the rules. You don't get to just complain and run. Uh, list your game, and then we realize, you know, the mistake we made. Uh, anyhow, thanks for hanging out with us for uh, this uh, middle season of Saxophist. We got miracles coming up, so it's just going to roll toward uh, the holiday season, and we'll have a lot more fun still with Saxophist. Tommy Barbie's going to be here, so you know it's going to be fun. Uh, take care, everybody. Uh, stay safe. Um, stay off the COVID IV, I, uh, IL, and we will be back in another week with Saxophist Miracles.